0: Welcome to the Theosophia Podcast, a platform for women's voices in theology. I'm your host, Sarah Elizabeth Smith, and I am so excited, y'all, to bring Season 3 of the podcast to the world. And I'm even more excited to introduce our new co-host, the Reverend Sarah Green. Sarah is a Unitarian Universalist minister as well as the Youth and Young Adult of Color Ministry Associate for the UU Association. I'm delighted to share the stage with Sarah this season in hopes that our inter-religious dialogue will inspire and spark more thoughtful and civic religious conversations among our listeners and usher in a wave of hope in these very tumultuous and chaotic times in our society This season, we will post one episode a month featuring a longer interview, and from time to time, Sarah and I will post another episode where we chat together about whatever is stirring in our spirits that week. And before we launch into this month's episode, we want to take a moment to recognize one of our sponsors for this episode, the Women's Ordination Conference. So the Women's Ordination Conference is seeking applications for the Lucille Murray Durkin Scholarship, which awards two thousand dollars for women and non-binary people discerning ordination in the catholic church for more information please visit womensordination.com slash programs slash scholarship all right folks episode one of season three features our new co-host the reverend sarah green sarah and i chat about her path to ordination and the uu tradition and what exactly uu theology is and how her questions have shaped her life in pursuit of liberation, healing, and covenantal relationships. I'm so proud of my dear friend and the beautiful life she's created. Here is her story, and I hope y'all enjoy. This is the Reverend Sarah Green. Sarah Green, I'm so excited that you're joining us on the podcast for season three to help me host. And we're going to change the format a little bit, but thank you so much for being open and willing to do this adventure with me for another season.
1: You know, I love a good adventure. So thanks for the invitation to join you. Mm-hmm. Um, feels like a fun project to live into, like, mystery. and. Um, and imagination mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm yeah so I want folks to get to know you and that's what this episode is gonna be about um, just getting to know you and your background and upbringing and and we know each other because we went to divinity school together and were we the same year did we graduate at the same time
1: I think so um well it was kind of it's hard to figure out I got to Vanderbilt in 2013 And I was at Peabody, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: doing a whole other master's program, and I started divinity school 2014. That's right.
0: I started in 13.
1: Yeah, I was I was around a lot. I was kind of dating somebody at the divinity school, so I was yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I kind of yeah, yeah, and I test drove a course um, on womanist ethics, and uh, that was really look at
0: that'll hook you every time oh my
1: gosh i was like who is
0: what is this (laughs) and so you then graduated in 16 or 17
1: so then i finished in december of
0: 2016 okay yeah the the MDiv.
1: yeah Yeah, and then med okay um and then I, i think i walked in 2017 okay so you were doing a lot of stuff oh my gosh so
0: much but great stuff.
1: Yeah, I do a lot. That's for sure. Good. So let's talk about
0: first just your background where you grew up and your religious and
1: spiritual background. Yeah. Um, so I was born in New Orleans. And two to parents who were from New Orleans, like for a long, long time um i've done been, been some ancestry work and i can trace my mom's side of the family to like like 17th century northwest louisiana which blew my mind because <laughs> i guess if you're from new orleans you, you know new orleans but if you have like a reason to go in other places you don't really leave new orleans mm-hmm. um so to see that i had family and ancestry from the boonies was intense. So anyways, my mom's side of the family goes back for a while and they are Catholic. Um, More culturally Catholic than the people that go to mass every day. I think my grandma was kind of the last person to be um, intent on it. She prayed the rosary, I don't know how many times a day. So, anyways, that was her. And then my dad's side of the family also from New Orleans for a long, long, long time. Less information because of the transatlantic slave trade, but can trace uh, his family back to Homa, Louisiana, and in some indigenous communities there um, for a long time. So that's where I grew up. And then, and my dad's religious background was pretty loose, although um in terms of his practice but his family are they're they're lutheran i know and as i'm getting older i realize like that how peculiar that is i don't know um, so he's lutheran and then in some weird turn of events i ended up my mom was an attorney and so she needed childcare like um, i have since come to know that she had a really good friend or has, um, who helped her create the maternity leave policy at the law firm that wow. she at. I know how, Very cool. how intense. And so while they were working through all of that, she needed childcare. And um, the Baptist Seminary in New Orleans has a daycare and summer camps. So I was there for most of my childhood and then. Went to church with them, which was um, specifically they were like, um, hmm, I think if I'm getting the terminology right, Reformed Southern Baptist. Hmm. I know. I haven't really done all that much digging to really f- figure out as an adult all of those implications, but um, that was the church and the tradition that I was raised. It's just like a really small. Southern Baptists, not like Baptists in the South, you know, like you know, Southern Baptists. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of white people. Um, and then to throw in some more material, uh, I spent a lot of my through 12 education in Catholic schools. Um, so you can imagine that I had a lot of questions for everybody <laughs> about what was actually going on. Mm-hmm um so i did that more and more as i got older but i remember it it started pretty young um and i think what really kept me so curious about southern baptist catholic situation was that at church i just felt this huge sense of community like these people that raised me and so clearly we might have something of substance And so I I think my questions were about finding that substance amidst all of the information, constantly sorting through it. Um, And then my last years of high school that kind of started to, I mean, I kept asking questions, but it was harder and harder to um, sort through, discern, and make sense of it all in one piece Mm -hmm. I just start, like, compartmentalizing, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: which, to see the ripples of that in my life today are so fascinating, but uh, it ended up being that I would, I was a dancer, so I had a lot of dance going on, and by the, my senior year, I was dancing, like, six days a week for, like, many hours, so I would do that. What kind of dancing? We did, um, in high school, we did a a lot of ballet Mm -hmm. and a lot of um, my classical, modern mm-hmm. um, technique, and some jazz. I also, <laughs> I also was in the dance team for the Jesuit High School my last year, because I thought this would be fun. I've never been on like a all boys Catholic dance team. Sounds fun, um, <laughs> and it was. So I would do the dance thing, and then I would hang out with my friends who. We're just getting into lots of things. In New Orleans, there's like lots of things, lots of trouble. That's so easy to find. Mm -hmm. Those were my friends. And we'd be out. It was intense. We were out to like the wee wee hours of the morning. And then I'd take a quick cat nap and then go to church. Wow. (laughs) Go to Bible study before church on Sunday morning. So I had a lot of pieces going on. Mm -hmm. Um, and luckily I was able to go to school in Vermont and kind of get a breather from all of that, which was really helpful. For undergrad? Yeah. Yeah. And I could kind of just take a step back and reevaluate my life. Mm-hmm.
0: What'd you study in undergrad? Dance. Dance? <laughs> dance.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was That's great. great. Yeah. And my goals were I wanted to go as far away as possible from New Orleans, just because mm-hmm. I could. I wanted to study dance, and I didn't want to take math.
0: Oh, well, there you go.
1: And all those things happened in Vermont.
0: That's that's great. Yeah. So you always cared about church and some, just the community and the place of learning spirituality that clearly mattered to you.
1: Yeah. And uh, ima- yeah, admittedly, and um, f- thankfully this is not how I ended up, but I was, when I was looking at colleges, I did entertain the idea of being a missionary. and I am so glad that did not happen. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it mattered that much that I thought other people needed to know.
0: Wow. Um, So did you engage with that part of your life in undergrad?
1: There were a couple of us who, um, hmm, definitely not freshmen or sophomore, maybe junior year, after we had kind of calmed down, but, um, think about trying out some churches. And um, the first way that I reengaged it was uh, through some Quaker meetings, because mm-hmm. that-, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that was great. I, I do need some sensory stimulation in worship, so it mm-hmm. didn't really get all of me, but that's my first like, re-engagement, which was so helpful. I was so busy in college, and just to have that hour of silence and mystery was grounding. Mm-hmm. We tried to go to some other churches, but they were mostly old people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and some of, some of us have um, ended up in as ministers. A good number. I can think of, like, at least two other people that were there when I was there that ended up. One of them is another UU clergy person, and then another person, I think, is Presbyterian.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So, take me on the UU journey. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, How'd you get there? So, I was in Nashville for the other grad program. And I was really lacking critical discourse. um, And a deeper analysis of justice and systems of oppression. And I was... um, luckily dating this guy who was in the divinity school and asking some intense questions that I think were, were ignited because I was, had spent four years in Vermont where there is arguably no God. And here I was in Nashville and church is like a normal part of people's lives. And I was really wrestling with what that meant. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause it was familiar, but it was also such, so far away. Um, and then to even provide more cognitive dissonance, the guy that I was dating was Baptist and identified with the descriptors of progressive Baptist. Um, he, uh, he went to Glendale mm-hmm. and I was just, my jaw just drops <laughs> constantly. Um, trying to make sense of what that even meant. Um, so I went to church with him a couple times. Um, that was weird because dating ministers is weird <laughs> as I would come to figure out. Um, so then I just was led by my questions, which is kind of how I move through the world. It's like, what are the questions that I have? Um, That's kind of the training that I got in Vermont was what are the questions you have, why, and how do you want to go about finding the answer. So I had figured out that I wanted to solve the answers by getting another degree um, in divinity, a master's in divinity. Um, I can relate. Right. (laughs) Which is a funny thing about that, that process and debt. (laughs) They don't really go well together. Alas, here we are. Um, I started off with a womanist course in ethics and literature and still i was just flabbergasted like about how amazing it was i was the only person of color to graduate in my class of about mm, 150 200 kids in vermont and so to have an experience in a classroom with a majority of black women was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I had no previous point of reference for this, So I had to sign up. So anyways, then I went to divinity school and the thing people kept saying was you're going to need a spiritual practice to get you through divinity school. You're just not going to make it without having some anchor practice, not answers, but an anchor practice. Mm -hmm. Okay, sure. Let's go church shopping. And so um, I went to Glendale one more time. and That was cool, but I was still too early in my divinity school career to really wrap my brain around Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I next went to the UU church and appreciated the spaciousness to ask my questions and to go about um, answering them in the ways that I felt were ethical and rigorous. And so that's kind of what I felt. Looking back on it, I, I do love the UUs. They have ordained me, and I work for them, and um, their theology is great. Um, but I got to say that I went to ordination in the Disciples of, Tri- uh, Disciples of Christ Church mm-hmm. in Nashville. And I don't think I would have been ready for that when I started Divinity School, but mm-hmm. wow. It, it was a, a whole thing mm-hmm. and thing that I needed and need now. So I um, started going to the UU church and they have a history of <clears throat> this church in particular in Nashville has a history of um, getting uh, students through divinity school and through the ordination process. And so mm-hmm. they saw me as a divinity school student. They were like, wow, we have, and also like as a young queer black woman, um, was like, wow, <clears throat> we have things for you to do,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, that's a pattern across the denomination. Um, so I started doing the things, and I talked to Lillian, who's was in charge of like, well, I don't think I don't think she was in charge of it, but we I had known Lillian from before I started divinity school, but she had suggested working at a church at, because it's an opportunity to try something new.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I said, sure, why not? Um, And so I did that. Then I graduated. And then it was kind of like, "Okay," Because they kept giving me this language of it's all about discernment. And you can (laughs) change your mind if you feel like this is not for you anymore, which is true. Like, on paper, it's so true. In lived reality, um, I found that it became less and less true the more of the boxes that I checked. Right. Not because um, there was any judgment if I stopped or that other people haven't made it through the process, but you're investing all this time and money Mm -hmm. into a particular thing. And, you know, after you do CPE Mm -hmm. and a year-long internship that is like barely paid you you're like well i have to like see this through um and make it work and luckily uh, pretty early on i saw, I found other uus of color um, mm-hmm. that have been anchors uh yeah i think my anchors are is community mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. And so that's where we are now. And now I am for the, the denomination's national office as mm-hmm. the Young Adult of Color Ministry Associate. And I do regional and national programming for young people of color. And mm-hmm. that are UU and UU adjacent, as I like to say.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm in, aside from like the denominational politics, which I really can't stand,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'm doing good work with good people. hmm Mm-hmm. and like what more can you ask yeah
0: that's wonderful yeah. so give me a little elevator speech about UU theology what oh, separates gosh. that from because <laughs> I, I think that's not only I, I mean you're a wonderful person and I like talking to you anyways I always have and <laughs> I love talking to you to Alice Pub but I don't know a lot about the UU world or UU theology, and that's why we're going to have so much fun. Yes. Tell, tell the people a little bit. What,
1: what would be the most important concepts for them to know? Yeah, hear ye, hear ye, people. Um, there's a couple different things I want to say. The first one that I always say is uh, there are a lot of denominations and traditions <clears throat> and religions that are creedal. Meaning they have like a set of things you have to more or less agree to. That's right. Um, the Unitarian Universalists are different because they're covenantal, which is um, which means that they focus more on how we aspire to be together. Um, and so there they, there are some pretty strong statements about what those things are that that serve as the basis of how we're going to be together. And they are called like our seven principles about how we're in community. And then however you get to them um, is more or less your business. Yeah. It's more or less your business. Um, So historically we've been the place where multiracial families can come to worship um, that, uh, families with different um, religious backgrounds can come together. So a Jewish parent and a Christian parent or an atheist parent even, and the Christian parent can come and um, raise their families in a way that allows their kids to be exposed to all of it and make their own intentional choices um and has been a place for people who want to do the work of justice to um practice what that looks like in a in in a ecclesial body mm-hmm. um so that's that i the other thing that i want to say is that unitarian universalism is a, re, a relatively new um official denomination i think that UU. you um the the ethos and the ethics of the same word that of unitarian universalism has existed for a long time and communities of color which doesn't often get talked about but as a denomination they're pretty new like the 60s we started coming together um but previously they were two um christian denominations
0: um,
1: that had a distinct that have distinct unitarian and universalist theologies um yeah and some of that got a little lost in the in the merger as we call it um some of the christianity got lost and then some of that 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 theology around salvation you know i'm thinking specifically about um, the Universalists who tended to be the more justice-seeking people of the two groups. The Unitarians were kind of elite, um, well-educated. The Universalists tended to be like workers and um, their big thing was that salvation was available to all people um, and obviously Salvation, I guess in some cases meaning heaven or whatever, but also like in terms of the social gospel definition of salvation, which is like heaven on earth sort of a thing, more just world sort of a thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um so that's that's kind of like the thrust of how I experience Unitarian Universalism. I think there were people who will tell you that they experience unitarian universalism very differently, especially in this moment of Trump. And there has been some really wild, like, um, uncovering of, of, uh, systems of oppression in the nominate in the denomination that kind of, I think are shaking us to our core of like who we, Mm -hmm. um, and what we thought we were all really here to do, and uh, lots of like confusion and sadness and hurt around system, how systems of oppression and people who um, are invested in those, how they uh, manipulate language and and process and praxis. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Which, which is like that's what they do. That's why capitalism and all these things still exist is because they can like reinvent and twist themselves into new um, forms. But I think, yeah, it's currently shaking us. And God willing, in the creek, don't worry, we will make it to the other side. <laughs> yeah.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I'm. I'm excited to get to know more, more about it and how to interact with it and to have good you know inner denominational inner religious conversation yeah. on what these things mean and um, you know I'm from a creedal institution that's very hierarchical so we have our own issues and battles and, and also have a ton of great people doing great work so yeah you know everywhere yeah we're all we're all doing we're always i think that's what i love about these conversations in the podcast is finding points of connection you know and and being about the positive things And i've said this a lot before that's the point a lot of point of the podcast is like let's share stories that are bringing people together and inspiring people to do good in the world um especially in these times of kind of mass chaos and confusion and hatred and you know wildness um that's my focus so
1: yeah very you of you
0: hey <laughs> i'm like a you a cousin i'm like yeah i could i could be in the you you i'm we, sure i'd fit right in
1: we have many of we have many cousins honestly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. people who are uu you adjacent
0: yeah so let's get into your Current context of what you're doing with your life. And I'm I'm really interested in how your oh, UU theology has shaped your ethics in terms of how you feel, you know, called into living out your life as a queer woman in in the, the South.
1: Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Well, gosh, that's such an interesting question because Simultaneous to my evolution as a UU, I was also doing lots of community organizing with Black Lives Matter in Nashville and SONG and um, NOAA, which is another um, collective of congregations, um, unions and things organizing. So it feels weird to give credit to the UUs for whom I feel like I'm usually pushing the edge of what that is. Um, Yeah, I think much more of my formation comes from those organizing spaces that I've been in. Um, That, if anything, my current context, I think, is a result of how do I take those... um, dreams of liberation from the organizing spaces and map them onto um, and I don't, I, uh, there's a better word for this other than like real life, but um, well, it's just how do I take those lessons and then map them onto different groups of real people, which is what we were doing when we were organizing. So I guess I would just say that. Um, right. But my formation has been, how do I take those principles and those and that praxis, and um, infuse that in Unitarian Universalism in the ways that I can, infuse that in um, my home uh, in the ways that I can. And probably the biggest lesson is just that I'm not in control, which is Mm. a funny thing. Um, And that's, I think, what makes the work worthwhile. (laughs) Mm -hmm. not in control um and that if yeah there's just some something that makes it more meaningful when we um have to work with others about a shared vision Mm um there's like a proverb that says if you want to go far go alone if you want to go together or if you want to go far Something about going fast and going alone, and -hmm. then want to go together. um, You go further. You go slow. Yeah, you go further, but and you go slow. Just go slow. Yeah. Right. Something
0: like that. Um, This is. I just wanted to interject and say I think it's really incredible and really worth noting that what I heard you say was you your theology and ethics was formed out of, out of community, kind of from like the ground up. Right. Yeah. Whereas I feel like I've had a kind of a, a different, I, I mean, there's certainly <laughs> times in life I've learned in different communities, how to have community, but I would say mine's been a little different and that I've kind of been studying theology and ethics up here and getting you know, getting a solid, and that's why I loved going to school, right? And I'm sure you did too, is like learning all these things and then trying to, okay, if the goal is like bringing the kingdom of God to earth and living that out, you know, what does it look like? And then I go practice it. And and again, Um. this isn't like Mm -hmm. completely 100% accurate probably, but I would have started with that narrative instead of like what I learned on the ground because my experience growing up is like, you know, a very heteronormative white, you know, upper middle-class situation um, and, and how I was treated too as a, as a queer kid growing up. I didn't want to duplicate what I, you know, a lot of what yeah. I was learning about community and faith, so I had to kind of recreate it, um, and how I did that was by going to school and being in alternative communities, so it was kind of a both-and, but I mm-hmm. I needed to construct something up here so I could bring it back down here, Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, I just think that's wonderful though, that you're in these organizing communities, which are so powerful, and um, just the organic um, I don't know, life and community it builds, it's, it's powerful. And I'm yeah. clearly it's affected your life in really amazing ways.
1: Yeah. And I think I'm not, I'm not involved. I'm not in a lot of those organizing communities that I was in, in divinity school. Um, and for me that may, that takes the stakes and puts them even higher. Um, and so a question that I often ask myself is, am I, am I being accountable to those communities, even if we're not in a relationship or um, working together in the same ways that we were, um, when no one is watching and when, no, when, that, when they aren't holding me accountable, am I still doing my work? Is it still rigorous? Is it still in service of liberation? Am I still being transformed by these dreams um, of something different? So that that I, I stress a lot about that actually, because um, I am in a especially a lot of white spaces, and um, certainly I have community that is of people of color, um, and that that is helpful for grounding, for anchoring, and for accountability. Um, but I'm always asking myself, is this yeah is this it am i am i re-internalizing systems of oppression am i succumbing because it's easier to like the status quo um these are things that i really fret about daily (laughs) um and in every part of my life and so i'm my task my current task is is like creating spaces to take breaks from that um, where I can just like rest. Cause even in my, I take my home so seriously that it often feels like I'm doing ministry in my home. Oh yeah. uh, Which is good. And also uh, it means that I really, it's it's just hard to um, turn off the, in some cases, hyper vigilance about
0: mm.
1: the work. Because mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I want my ethics to be integral to all the parts of my life. Um, and that just takes work and it's hard to turn the work off. So, yeah, there, there's that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's like um, even more. Imperative because I live in a house of white people <laughs> and I live in a white a very white county uh, And the UUs are super white so The work needs to happen In mm-hmm. all of those places
0: yeah. So. Yeah. yeah so talk a little bit about um, Your foster kids and how you decided To uh, create
1: a family yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so um after doing this internship uh and getting this really sweet job that i love um i felt so much more agency about my life i was like oh my god I have, i'm rich <laughs> which is not true <laughs> but that's what it felt like and i was able to yeah, it was a privilege in being, in, in being able to move and in mobility and um, wanted to be intentional about that. So I decided to buy a house in Lawrenceburg on some, a couple acres and um, did that. And then after that was done and I felt really good, I'm like, okay, um, I'm a queer black uh, woman and we're gonna rebuild our relationship to the land. We're gonna heal, um, I was at a loss about what to do next, you know, I kind of put some feelings out for some people to come live with me, some friends and like do a thing that way. That didn't really go well, which makes sense. Cause I live in the middle of nowhere and a very a tough sell bud. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough sell. I mean, I'm cool, but it's a tough sell. <laughs> um, and so a friend of mine, he just gave me the number for the foster care agency to call, and um, I thought, well, if my if my work is to be justice seeking uh, and in service of liberation, and and for me that means in this situation like redistributing um, resources, then and and really grappling with the excess that I have of, of space, of money, of time, whatever. Um, this seems like one way to um, live into that. And so that just really happened very fast. I think I called them in October. And the next round of classes was starting in January. So like right about now. And they were done by the end of February. And before I, my home was even open, I got a call about... Um, Peyton and Mackenzie, and, um, they moved in and, um, wow, what a roller coaster. And it's even, it's just also intense because they will have lived with me for like a year in March.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's just such a weird and complicated anniversary. because mm-hmm. actually, like, this is, you know, part of the worst parts of their life. Yeah. Um, And for me, I mean, I'm more or less happy about it. There have been some compromises about my own freedom that I've had to make, but nothing, nothing at all, like nothing that even could mildly compare what this means for them. So a bittersweet thing, but like Mm -hmm. it's such a good thing, but um, obviously not the most ideal in terms of, keeping families together. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, that's how I've really been grappling. And honestly, that really took all the excess that I didn't even know I had in terms of time and energy, like being yeah. a parent. And Peyton, he just turned 12 on Saturday and Mackenzie's 15. So they're, they got lives of their yeah, own.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, they yeah, they're already doing stuff and having opinions and having probably little boyfriends or girlfriends or you know like they're already yeah. it's it's just i don't know how i don't know if i'd handle that better or worse than having like a young like a you know a i know toddler like could i would because they're already coming with um trauma and well, yeah some yeah like probably emotional you know stunting or just things that you know. You gotta
1: reprogram in them and heal. Right. And right. Right. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think I like it that they're older, 'cause they can feed themselves. Like, honestly, <laughs> just practically, like, you can ba-
0: you can wipe your behind, you can, you know, yeah, like brush your
1: teeth. Coming out of divinity school, like, I don't even know what it means to have female <laughs> day, and I really haven't recovered that idea. Um, Mm-hmm. consistently so the thought of cooking dinner every night is I mean most times I do it um, but sometimes I'm just like yeah I need to find a leftover somewhere <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah I enjoy the ability to be like I need a break mm-hmm. I'm not gonna die this is mostly good but yeah they yeah we and then the three of us you know Peyton McKenzie and myself We all have our own interactions with systems of oppression and trauma. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's really a whole collective healing project Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. where I've been asked to stretch and I've asked them to stretch um, and become in a lot of ways, like totally new people. I mean, I know like our cells regenerate every seven years, but it just feels like in this year, I feel like they all just fell off. I've got a whole new situation going on, um, and and we, well, I mean, there's I have a lot of gratitude for community that has welcomed them in the places that we've been.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That feels really special to me. Mm-hmm. That like, wherever we go. It's evident how much um, people love me and that that uh, that that um, love is extended to them. Mm-hmm. Um, they definitely feel it. Yeah. Um, and we started family therapy recently, which I'm super excited about. Wow. Yeah. Um, we're only going once a month because, you know, that's maybe be going all the time. But
0: yeah, you got to like ease. You gotta
1: ease, them, ease
0: them into it. But yeah. I think that's so smart and, and practical, you know? I mean, you guys have been thrusted into each other's universes and that's not gonna not create some friction and some yeah stuff y'all probably need to, just, you know, a moderator to help communicate and yeah talk through and, stuff.
1: And yeah, and we're all going through these like seasons of like, well, I think I can identify the season in me and at least in Mackenzie of like, Oh, this is going too well. Like something must be wrong. Like, you know, our like our things come up. <laughs> or like I need to leave. You know, our you know, we we get in, it's not like a trauma response because it's not like there's anything happening. Um, but the yeah, the residual our residual trauma responses come up even when there's like no st- violent threat present Mm -hmm. the threat threat is only like this is a really good thing and i don't know what that is (laughs) yeah that's the threat which is like wow what this world this world has just done such a number on us that that's the threat Mm -hmm. like oh this is good let me go like let me move away from that um so i don't know if i'm gonna adopt them or if they're gonna move or what have you um I should know sometime soon because yeah. you know it's like another thing to not know what's happening yeah of all the things but that's the nature of life and trauma and all the world we just don't know mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so we're just living in the mystery of yeah. that
0: yeah yeah which i mean divinity school i'm sure has pre- prepared you pretty well for for living, living the
1: mystery in hard places. Kind of, yeah. And then there was just like so. In Divinity school there's just so much you can hide behind, honestly. I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, but I think you can choose more or less how vulnerable you want to be. But also, there's like, in Nashville, at least, I felt like there were so many things to distract myself with. Mm-hmm that i don't think i was paying attention to the right things
0: hey i i agree i did the same thing
1: yeah um i've done a lot of reflecting on like how i was showing up to my life in vermont which was in the middle of like nowhere mm-hmm. how focused i was and how like clear i was about what i was there to do and then nashville it was just like
0: it's kind of a tough place to go to school. I mean, there's so much going on outside of school. It's hard not to, you know. It's hard not to go to QDP.
1: Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and brunch. I mean, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's they're all good things. Mm-hmm. It's that's part of its appeal. It's like, yeah, I want to go to brunch. Yes, I want to go to QDP. Yes, I want to go to this march. I want to go to all the things because they're so good and Mm -hmm. sustaining. And then, Mm -hmm. but then we don't pay attention to like how we repair harm that we do to each other or Mm -hmm. taking care of our bodies, you know, those kinds of things are Mm -hmm. the first to go. Mm -hmm. So I guess, I guess that translates to like what's happening now. I mean, I live in the middle of nowhere, which is good. Um, And for the most part helps me to focus on what I'm doing um, but still again there's so I grew up as a very busy child and so there's like always the option to just keep busying myself as a distraction from as a distraction to bring back the uu you theme uh, our covenant with each other like what I've covenanted to do with Peyton and Mackenzie which is um, to provide stability and to be together on the journey of healing and to figure out what family means and looks like to us. Mm -hmm. There's much we can do that's not that.
0: (laughs) Well, it sounds like you're doing things though to obviously set that up in the the counseling for sure and just doing life together.
1: Yeah, and being willing and compromise what a weird annoying thing <laughs> but like i since going since leaving my parents house have never had a tv and now i find myself in a house with three tvs mm. and then on top of that i never played video games but there are as of saturday three gaming systems in my house <laughs> i hate it <laughs> and that's you know we're compromising yeah yeah yeah
0: and so but you're also doing um you've got some furry family members Ah, uh, yes that are important and you spend i saw a picture on instagram you were sleeping in the the lamb what what do you call it where do they live in a in a <laughs> the barn in a barn yeah. <laughs> You're sleeping in the barn trying to take care of a a mama and a, some babies that were born, right?
1: Yeah. Well, see, so yes, I have sheep. I have about 12 of them. I have some pigs, some goats, and some very annoying roosters also. But the sheep are kind of our main project. Um, they mm-hmm. are mostly bred. And that night, I... Gosh, this one, she was just huge. And we're like, she's got to pop sometime soon. We just... We were waiting for a long time. Well, while we were waiting for this other one to have babies, another one had babies. Um, so, while we were waiting for this big one to have babies, another one had babies, and that was the whole thing. But finally, this one goes into labor. Finally. And she's really working for a long time. And um, these are sheep, they have multiples. So, you kind of want to be close by if something happens. So, we were out there and uh it was getting late it was so cold oh my gosh it was like i don't know i'm a i get cold easily so it must have been like 30 degrees but i was freezing and um ben my partner was getting up he was like i'm, I'm ready to go and i'm like okay i'm tired because my bedtime is nine and it is now like 11:30 or something so i just got a cot and uh was like well you you know, wake me up when like a head pops through or something. That would be great. And so he upgraded me to a better cot, which is good, <laughs> which was very helpful. Um, and then around 1130, there was a head and, uh, I said, well, she's kind of been laboring for a long time. I think I heard her water pop break. I should probably just get this thing out. Um, Ben's hands are pretty big. And so I was the I was the one for the job. (laughs) So I got it out. And um, unfortunately, it was dead. And so were the other two. Mm. Just like a whole thing. Um, It's so tenuous. Even more tenuous than the children. Because like. Oh, yeah. About like mineral levels. And like, are they, you know, how much grain to give them. It's just a lot. So hopefully our lambing season gets better. And I like that we have others that I'm just like, what are you waiting for? I don't know. And hopefully it goes well, but.
0: What was the um, thought process of getting the lambs? Why'd you choose lambs? Well, I moved out to the. Trying to be biblical. No. (laughs) Trying to be a shepherd.
1: (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, Moved out to the middle of nowhere and then um, thought, well, the house when I bought it had goats on it. So I was like, okay, goats or something small. I did some research about small farms in the area. And I found some pigs, big people, which I do love pork. um, But I found, and the people that were more willing to talk to me were sheep ladies. (laughs) There were two (laughs) sheep ladies in the area that were just the cutest, most hardworking things. and then and then one of them, her horse got sick, and so she was, I think they were, they were trying to move. And so she called me up one day, and she was like, do you want these, these sheep? And I was like, uh, okay. Um, and at that point I had had the goats, but they were just kind of a pain in the butt. They just, a common internet idiom is, if the fence can hold water, it can hold goats. And, that was very true. And when the goats got out and they were at the church of Christ <laughs> God. on a Sunday morning <laughs> and the people are like, Oh, we'll hold your goats. If you want to go to church, I was done with the goats. <laughs> done.
0: am trying to evangelize you to the wrong place.
1: <laughs> the wrong place. So we're done with goats then. Um, and the sheep, uh, when I got them and um, so we milked them and oh my gosh sheep milk if you've never had sheep milk I highly recommend it's it's hard to get it without knowing a sheep person there's like one grade A sheep milk situation in the country is mm-hmm. in California mm-hmm. um, so you're mostly going to get either home pasteurized or raw sheep milk but it is so good I believe it yeah. Um, so that's really, I don't honestly, I think the milk sold me. I mm-hmm. can drink that, like, water.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. so how, any other, like, reflections on your experience so far, living in the South, being who you are, and your interactions with
1: people, or? My reflection on it is... But all I'm really trying to do is, like, keep showing up, like, one day at a time. Because <laughs> uh, if I think about it in, like, years, it just becomes completely unmanageable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: can really only think of it. I, I plan a year out so that I can plan to leave. And I mean, like, for, like, a couple days <laughs> at a time, not, like, leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Looking that far out feels good, but if I think about like I've been really fretting over turning thirty, honestly, and if I think about that in relationship to place, I'm like oh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, the other reflection that that is so sweet to me is just how my relationship to social media has changed since moving in the middle of nowhere. Like, there's such a sweet community of like queer and trans country people on Mm -hmm. like it's just i love it um and i feel such a deep sense of solidarity with those people Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're like all out here in these red communities like living our best queer lives or Mm -hmm. whatever that is in the moment so Mm -hmm. that that i think surprised me Mm um if someone would have asked me what I thought about social media like two years ago. I've been like, "Eh, it's annoying. But now I'm like, oh my gosh. There's a couple of the Instagram accounts that I like. One is, or this may be a hashtag, queers who farm is really sweet. Um, But then also I found this one the other day that's like, I don't think it's explicitly rural people. But it's called Soft Queer Bellies. And it's just, it's just. (laughs) It's just queer and trans people and their bellies. Like, it just breaks me down.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I saw you post that. I was like, oh, that's got her written all over it. It does. I'll have a picture up in a couple hours. And you did.
1: I did. (laughs) (laughs) I did, yes. Um, It was just perfect. Those things, like, are so impactful to me, even though they're like, so DIY and um, like this person is obviously passionate about bellies because even when you read the captions Mm -hmm. so amazing (laughs) so those really things things are really keeping me afloat
0: Mm
1: I appreciate that Um, you know my task for 2020 is self differentiation so like all these spaces and communities uh, and commitments I'm a part of um, and the task is what is Sarah and how does Sarah take a step back and care for herself? Um, and not craft an experience where she becomes defined by all of these things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is so, it's so hard not to be, not to like feel totally defined uh in my role as like a mother or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the task of 2020 is just like, yeah, part of me is a mother, <laughs> but right. like, if the kids move tomorrow, like, um, I don't want to be a wreck <laughs> yeah. yeah. when things shift and change, at, you know, as is expected because right. of this change. Um, I just want to like have a, a firm center of gravity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. That's the task, which yeah. is hard. Cause they're so entrenched i see them every day see right. you know i see these people i spend a lot of time not only with Peyton and Mackenzie and my partner but at work you know i just see a lot mm-hmm. it's hard yeah and then you feel guilty i'm working through guilt a lot of mm-hmm. like wanting to leave or making plans to leave mm-hmm. um
0: well, my friend, you have a beautiful life, and I'm I'm so proud of you for what you've you've created and what you've just been open to. Um, letting the the spirit move how she will in your life is really really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Yeah, girl. I'm excited to share your story and and just start learning from you and folks in your stratosphere and how you think about the world through a theological lens and putting more voices out there. Thanks for listening to the Theosophia Podcast. We will be back next month with another awesome woman's voice in theology. Until then, follow us on social media and visit our website, TheosophiaPodcast.com to stay up to date on our news and until next time, peace be with you all.